The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to help make the world run better and make it a better place with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's see, what's the buzz on the street today? Oh my, here's some breaking news. Investors clearly gained interest in the hot AI space. Oh, come on, you know AI is artificial intelligence. Through 2014, how much money? They poured $309 million into AI startups across more than 40 deals, says a report by CB Insights prepared for Bloomberg Business on a year-over-year basis, funding to pure-play AI startups, which include companies working in NLP, machine learning, there's a key word, remember that, deep learning and predictive APIs, among other applications, jumped 302%. That's from cbinsights.com. So what are we talking about? It is an exciting time for business. Why do I say that? It has never been easier to harness innovations like artificial intelligence systems to drive productivity gains across your company in every way in every day. Think about it. What can you do with speech and text recognition? What can you do with visual image processing, driving chat box and digital assistance? Come on, sometimes your customers would prefer to talk to an intelligent chatbot rather than a person who can't figure out what to do. No no impugning on your, your customer service people, but let's be real here. And with real-time complex, complex data analysis understanding, your operational systems will be even easier. So are you on board yet? Are you getting ready? Are you thinking about it? Do you want to dip your toe in the water, but you're not sure what it means? Well, guess what? This is part two of a show we did last week called Machine Learning Trends. We talked about the intelligent enterprise. We're going to continue that theme and talk about harnessing AI. That's right, artificial intelligence. I have a panel of three experts on this topic. Let me tell you who they are before I introduce them. First up, we'll be speaking with Travis Tompkins, a senior manager at Deloitte Consulting. LLP. Shout out to Carla Neal and all our good friends at Deloitte who send us so many interesting thought leaders every single year. Thank you. Joining him on the panel, Dr. Paul Palath, Chief Data Scientist and Senior Director with the Advanced Analytics Organization at SAP. And joining the two of them, another newcomer. They're all new to Game Changers. Kevin McConnell, Machine Learning Solutions, GTM Go-To-Market at SAP. Delighted to have the three of you. Let's start off with the opening quote Travis Tompkins has sent us before the show. Well, this is from Neil Pert. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. P-E-A-R-T. Maybe it's part. Rhymes with heart. Okay, come on, kids. You know who he is. Drums, percussion, lyrics. He is part of Rush. Travis, are you getting a rush when I talk about this? <laughs> rush was a band formed in 1968, and Pert replaced the original drum 
drummer John Rutsey in July 1974, just two weeks before their first U.S. tour. Uh, he lived in England. He was he discovered the writing of, of Anne or Ayn Rand, if you want to talk about it that way. He returned to Canada in the 70s and found out about Rush, and he decided, hey, I'm going to get a tryout, and here he is. So here is the quote. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Travis Tompkins, how are you? Are you a big Rush fan? Yes, I am. Good morning. Good morning, buddy. Good morning. How are you? I love the quote. Talk. Yep. Very good. Yeah, yeah. I think I picked this quote because this is something that uh, we are in a, you know, a significant paradigm shift right now in, in the marketplace and how... Uh, this quote kind of deals with the fact that you know business leaders and 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 process owners and things like that in our businesses have this new tool called an artificial intelligence, and so you know they they have. I think we lost him. We lost Travis. You know what? We're going to pick him up when he calls back in. His line dropped, and we're in the middle of talking about a great quote from Neil Peart in Russian. You know what? I'm going, just going to move ahead to Dr. Paul Palath. Dr. Paul Palath has sent us a quote from John Tukey, quoted in Super Freakonomics, page 224, and we really very much appreciate, Paul, you're giving us the exact page. John Wilder Tukey, who lived from 1915 to 2000, was an American mathematician best known for the development of the FFT algorithm and the box plot. Uh, there are all kinds of tests, the Tukey range test, the Tukey lambda distribution, the Tukey test of additivity, all kinds of interesting things. And uh, talking about super freakonomics, it was written by economist Stephen D. Levitt and journalist Stephen J. Dubner, and it was a follow-on to their bestseller Freakonomics, which sold over 4 million copies in 35 languages and changed the way the world we look at the world. Here's the quote Paul has selected from John Tukey. An approximate answer to the right question is worth a great deal more than a precise answer to the wrong question. Dr. Paul Pallath, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, excited to be part of uh, this talk show. And I think this quote um, goes a long way uh, since my PhD times. And this is something that um, has two paths to it. One is about the question itself, and the other one is the process of finding an answer to that question. Uh, and I think with enterprises trying to digitize themselves and then go into that digital transformation journey, uh, they are trying, everybody wants to have predictive as part of their, uh, or machine learning as part of their day-to-day activities, right? Uh, and when I talk to customers, um, this is that I bring forth towards them, is what is the business problem that you're trying to solve? And if that business problem is not going to address your top line or the bottom line in some sense, or is not going to change the way customers are interacting with your systems in some way, then probably you are not asking the right questions that machine learning could help you address with. On the other side, um, when we as data scientists start building models, right, we keep on trying to build the best model possible with all the data that we have and land up into another problem, which which is called overfitting, so to say. Then you are able to exactly replicate the information that is gathered in the historical data set, but not when it is applied to new data for scoring, it doesn't work. So here the, the thing is, first, pick the right question that enables you to create a change for your ecosystem, and then mm-hmm. look at 
possible answers that is provided to you and an approximate answer itself could leverage uh, or provide you a great significant leverage in your bottom line or top line or the experience that your customers have from that. Thank you, Paul. Very interesting. The, the quote you sent us from John Tukey reminds me of an old standby when people say, I don't know or I don't want to change something. The, the comment on that is, uh, the enlightened comment on that is, doing nothing is a response. Doing nothing is a choice. It's like in the age of ones and zeros, right? Binary? If you pick a one, mm-hmm. well, maybe you're making a decision. If you pick a zero, you chose the zero to do nothing is the choice you choose. So this really takes it to a higher level. Would you agree this is a uh, an elevated version of that question? It is, it is definitely an elevated version because I think not only in business, but in personal life also, you have so mm-hmm. many choices to make, right? And if you're not asking the right questions at critical moments of your personal life, in addition to your business life, I think you may find a precise answer, answer that doesn't lead you anywhere. So I do agree with what you say. Absolutely. That reminds me of a quote from Yogi Berra. I think something about if you don't know where you're going, you, you just might get there. I don't know, something like that. <laughs> Hello? Okay. We, we get a lot of Yogi Berra quotes on the show. Paul, pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. And uh, rumor has it that Travis Tompkins is back on the line. I think you got so such a rush from talking about Rush that your line just went plow and that was it. So, Travis, you were in the middle. Let's, let's start again. If you choose not to decide, you still made a choice very similar to what I was just commenting with Paul. So why don't you start your comment again about how you chose this quote and how it relates to our topic. Go ahead, Travis. Yeah, thanks, thanks Bonnie. Sorry about that. Um, no problem. The, the, uh, you know, where I was going with this quote is the fact that <clears throat> with all of these, these new technologies, new capabilities and things like that that are available now in the marketplace and for uh, our customers and such like that to use, that they, they need to make some some choices and um, you know one of the one of the key things that that happens or that we're kind of projecting is going to happen with artificial intelligence as it's more embedded into what we do uh, in the mm-hmm. business world and such is that we're going to be able to free up probably anywhere from twenty to thirty percent of a lot of the mundane kind of activities things like that that go on in the workplace uh, things like you know, paper shuffling, uh, workflows, uh, very simple decision-making, those types of things. And so as a result, we're going to end up with a, an extra uh, amount of uh, capacity, I guess, um, that's going to happen in the, in the workplace. And so it now becomes a choice for companies and such to say, what am I going to do now with that additional mm-hmm. capacity? Am I going to take my workers and elevate them to be able to do higher valued activities? Am I going to take that, those hours and, and use it as a cost savings potential? Um, so there, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of choices that are going to have to happen uh, in the workplace Regardless of what technology or what capabilities end up having to uh, that take place, but the impact on the workforce and such, uh, you know, is going to be there. Um, I would say probably not so much in the near term, but it certainly is something that we're going to have to grapple with in say the next five to ten years uh, when this becomes more uh, commonplace in the market. 
Thank you very much, and great to have you back, Travis. And now let's turn to the gentleman who's been waiting so patiently. It's Kevin McConnell, Machine Learning Solutions GTM at SAP. And Kevin is harking us way back into the world of ancient Chinese philosophers, particularly Sun Zhu, T-Z-U. His name is spelled many, many different ways. He was a Chinese general, a military strategist, and imagine that he did it without technology. He did it without a cell phone and without predictive analytics, but he did it, and a philosopher who lived in the spring and autumn periods of ancient China. He's traditionally credited as the author of The Art of War. He's also revered in Chinese and the culture of Asia as a legendary historical figure. His birth name, by the way, was Sun Wu, W-Wu, and the name Sun Tzu is an honorific, meaning master son. Oh, if we could all be called that. Kevin McConnell has picked this quote. Never engage your enemy until you have a substantial advantage. If you do not have an advantage, change the rules until you do. Oh, Kevin, would life be perfect if we could all change the rules? How are you, Kevin McConnell? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jay Bonnie? I'm fine. Thanks for, for sending us this wonderful quote. Talk to me. What does this all mean in relation to our topic on machine learning trends? Go ahead, Kevin. Well, I'm a big fan of Sun Tzu, and I actually didn't know all the stuff you just shared, so thank you for enlightening me. You're very welcome. The thing I like about Sun Tzu is the way he approaches things, and it's amazing that corporations and the military still use his writings to for training today and for implementing strategy. But there's so many times that we have, we're coming up against something that is hard for us and we just try to work harder and if we if somebody has a two-to-one advantage you can't you know you can't overcome that until you do something majorly different so the question is not how do i become two million people as opposed to a million people the question is what can i do differently and that's Mm -hmm. where machine learning can have a big play in strategy so it's not going to change the overall way you do things, but it's going to change the, your ability to evaluate and look at things. Machines can process a lot more information than a human being can. So that's the best places to implement it is where you can't look at 5 million different possibilities. You can only look at 10, 20. So it's it's not changing the having the machines run the world. It's having machines help facilitate the way that humans run the world. Very well put. And, and Kevin, to that point, very well put, thank you. To that point, last week when we did Machine Learning Trends Part 1 and we had uh, Chandran Saravana and David Yonker from SAP as our panelists, we op- I opened up with some comments that the human brain is too slow to process and grasp and do something and find patterns in all of the mega data around us, the fast data, the slow data, the structured data, the unstructured data. So you agree with that, yes? Oh, absolutely. It's, and that's what you have. You see some companies now, even some, some large companies, uh, matter of fact, I was just reading recently about Bridgewater Associates, that they're starting to use machine learning for all the decisions. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that the humans are gone. The humans are going to set the parameters. The humans are going to evaluate the results. The humans are going to use those results, but the machines are going to do the majority of the thinking. Yep, and I think that's where we're, we're hoping it'll go. There are all kinds of ethical 
decisions to be made in this about workforce and about people? Who? When do we have a real person? When do we tell somebody you're not talking to a real person? Who decides to program and train those machines whose biases are included? We're not going to talk about that today. We're talking about AI. So uh, I'm going to circle back, hopefully intelligently, to my first panelist, Travis Tompkins. And Travis, I'm going to ask you, well, we get a little up close and personal this part of the show. Where are you calling from? And what are you drinking today if it makes you smile? If not, what would you rather be drinking, Travis? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually uh, calling you from the, uh, the suburbs in Philadelphia. So I'm in, uh, in this area where I uh, kind of grew up and uh, I make my home now. Uh, and uh, actually right now, uh, I guess I'm a simple kind of guy. I'm actually drinking a McCafe coffee from McDonald's um, just because uh, that's what was available. Not that's my, my, my preferred drink, <laughs> but it's what was there. Uh, if, I, I don't know. If, if I had to have something uh, more along the lines of what I'd rather be drinking, probably like an Arnold Palmer or something like that. I, I, I enjoy that better, especially when it's hot. An Arnold Palmer is an iced tea, Correct. That's yeah, lemonade and iced tea. That's right. Lemonade and iced tea. And do you know what the version with the booze in it is called? I think I remember this because somebody told us about this on a show last week. Do you remember what that is? Uh, no, I don't. I don't know. That. I think it's a John Daly, and John he was Daly. a. Uh, <laughs> he, he had a little problem with the bottle as a golfer, and they they knew when you add, I think it's a vodka to the to the Arnold Palmer, you get a John Daly. Look, look it up and see if I'm right. I'm pretty sure. I, I try to remember my guest drinks. There I you will. go. Well, enjoy your McCafe. <laughs> and Dr. Paul Pallath, Rumor has it that we have called you today in Ireland. So tell us where you are, why you're there, if you don't mind, and what are you drinking? today? Yes, I am in Ireland and for a change. Um, I think I've been here for more than uh, four years now, but for a change. Mm. Today we have bright sun, a very high heat, no wind, mm. no rain. And I think this is an exception mm. uh, as compared to the Irish weather, right? And uh, yeah, Irish weather is tough not to crack. And I think I am going to go to an Indian store, buy coconut, because that's again tough to crack and have cool natural drink. For sure. That sounds interesting. What part of Ireland are you in? Love to know that. Yeah, I'm in Kildare. Uh, it's near to Dublin, around uh, mm-hmm. 14 kilometers. So it's okay. Nice, uh, which is a camp, yeah. Very interesting. And, and are you there for work or are you there for, did you move there for pleasure? Just wondering. We have had very no. few guests calling in from Ireland, so I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm uh, here for work. I was in India, SAP Bangalore before, and uh, transferred to Ireland, so I'm here for long. Well, thank you very much, and I'm just going to do a sidebar here to Travis Tompkins, the John Daly. I was right. It is a drink. It's an alcoholic mixed drink consisting of lemonade, iced tea, and vodka, named after American golfer John Daly. It can also be made with lemonade and sweet tea vodka. It's the alcoholic version of the Arnold Palmer. It's a tongue-in-cheek nod to Daly's issues with the bottle. We'll just leave it that way. So there, you learned something. And now, Kevin McConnell, we'd love to know where you're calling from from and what's in your cup today kevin or if it's just boring what would you rather be drinking come on tell us well i'm calling in from annapolis maryland Hmm. which is outside of washington dc and drinking it's it is kind of boring it's it's (laughs) it's water um and it's it's i don't know if we're allowed to give uh it's dasani if that uh, makes a difference yeah sure you can Uh, 
frankly, what I'd rather be drinking, but I have, I have a Diet Coke addiction, but mm. I'm trying to behave today, so I'm, I'm trying to stick to the water. What do you love about Diet Coke? Do you like it cold over ice or out of a bottle or a can? Do you have it with a straw? Do you mix it with anything? Give me a little more personality here. What, what do you do with it? I don't know what I'm addicted to because I drink caffeine-free Diet Coke. So there's no sugar in it. There's oh. no caffeine. I, I drink way too much to it. Actually, I was on a plane once sitting next to an executive from Coca-Cola. Uh, he was a huh. senior vice president of marketing, and he asked me how much Diet Coke I drank. He said, that's way too much. And I'm thinking, if he thinks it's too much, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were sitting next to a diet soda doctor or an official, well, in a way, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing that with us. And you and I are just having this conversation together, Kevin. Nobody else heard it, so your secret oh, is safe with me. Okay, Travis and Paul weren't listening, and nobody else is listening. Oh, it's okay. So here we are. We're talking about, well, we have a very intelligent panel, of course, because we're talking about artificial intelligence. How can your company, your organization, your business, your enterprise, whatever you call yourself, wherever you are in the world, whatever industry you're in, how can you harness this machine learning trend? And I did open with an interesting quote. Before we go to break, I just want to quickly go around the panel and get your reactions to the quote I found from a report for Bloomberg Business. Investors gained interest in the hot AI space in 2014, which is three years ago, pouring $309 million into AI startups across 40 deals. So are you surprised? Travis Tompkins, are you surprised about that? No, I think I think it is one of those things that uh, obviously it's a, it's a trend and, um, you know, if you think about things like Moore's Law and, and you know, the capacity uh, of computing capacity and stuff you know doubles every every 18 months or so it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily surprise me I, I do think that um, you know there's a lot of buzz around it I'll say and and I do believe that um, you know companies are, are just now kind of coming to grasp with it and uh, uh, and uh, you know obviously the entrepreneurs are starting to see how to make that happen so so I'm 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 not surprised at all. It, it does it does. I think it's inevitable um, that uh, this is going to become more mainstream. Okay, I'm wondering what Dr. Paul Powell has to say. Does this surprise you? Or do you think it would be more or less? I think it would be more. Um, it is just about time, I say, because uh, people or maybe corporates were waiting for success stories here than failures uh, in this area. And we've heard a lot of success stories out of machine learning implementations and the benefit on the competitive advantage that companies have gained. And also the democratization of AI in some sense because of the open source of many um, libraries that are available for somebody to use them to solve business problems using machine learning has made it, made it much easier as compared to three to four years ago. So I think the investment is low. It's going to grow exponentially in the, in the time to come. Thank you very much. And Kevin McConnell, love to get your thoughts before we go to break. What do you think about this? You surprised or you think it would be more? I actually thought it'd be more, but mm-hmm. we're also in that hype stage and everybody's trying to figure out what they're going to do with it. So they're scooping up companies like crazy. They're making investments. And it's kind of like the old days when e-commerce was the big buzz and any, any company with e-commerce on it was snatched up. Now, nobody talks about it anymore, but everybody's using e-commerce, so it's become part of the fabric. So I think you're going to see the same type of thing happen with machine learning. 
Thank you very much. And that brings us to our break. We're going to take a quick 90-second break and give Travis Tompkins at Deloitte, Dr. Paul Palath, and Kevin McConnell at SAP a chance to wet their whistle while we go away and talk to Travis off-air about where we're going to start the roundtable in earnest. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to still be me after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We will be right back. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we go. We are back talking about machine learning trends part two, and we're focusing on harnessing AI, artificial intelligence. I have real intelligence here on the panel, speaking with Travis Tompkins at Deloitte Consulting, Dr. Paul Palath at SAP, and Kevin McConnell at SAP. We're ready to start the roundtable, and here are some notes Travis Tompkins told me before the show. So here's where we're going to begin. He says, the next wave of transformation will come from optimization and automation leveraging digital finance solutions. Travis, tell us more, please. Sure, buddy. Yeah, so if you, look at the, if you look at the finance function, uh, you know, largely in the last couple of decades, um, you know, it, it, there's not been a, a significant amount of transformation in that area. Um, a lot of people like to think about the finance function kind of being the scorekeepers in the, in, in the, in the, uh, in the organization. And with the advent of artificial intelligence, predictive analytics, machine learning, those, those types of technologies, there are now opportunities to be able to fine-tune what we do in finance, what we, how we measure our performance, how we look for those insights, uh, how we can better predict, plan, forecast. Um, now that I can take a, a business problem or a business area, you know, look at thousands and thousands of variables that that go on in that in that uh, in that 
particular function supply chain or something like that and, and understand what is truly going on and understand the true insights into the root causes for why we're profitable, why we're unprofitable, things like that. And, you know, by, as I said at the top of the show, artificial intelligence is going to allow us to create more capacity in the workforce as well so that now I can take those, some of those people in finance, your planners, your, your, your people like that, and, and kind of unload that mundane paperwork kind of stuff that they do. And mm-hmm. now I can put them to task at doing other things, like spending more time doing the financial analysis and such. AI is a great tool for bringing together all the disparate pieces to, to look at a, at a business problem. It's very good at that. It can sift through all that, all the major volumes of data and such. But you still need a person to sit there and analyze and make judgments about what that, what that uh, solution is telling you. And so, uh, the more that I can do that, the better I can fine tune what we're, what we're uh, how we're operating and how what kind of adjustments I might want to make, what optimization decisions I might want to make. So that that's why I kind of picked that area uh, at least first. Thank you very much. Interesting. Uh, Dr. Paul Pallas at SAP, love to get your thoughts on what Travis introduced. Talk to me. Yeah, I think um, Travis has touched upon a very good domain, so to say, because uh, when, I, uh, when I had the opening quote, I did say that we have to have predictive at places or at business problems that impact your top line and bottom line, right? And I remember vaguely when I was giving a, a webinar on smart finance, I was looking up some um, uh, U.S. Census Bureau statistics, and uh, what I come to, what I came to know was that in uh, in U.S. there are 1,100 new businesses formed every day, but mm. on the other side there are 1,300 businesses that fail every day also, and the predominant reason around that was cash flow management, and I think predictive would there are various aspects of finance if addressed using machine learning will help the critical lifeline of any organizational survival, which is cash flow, right? And I think it is, it is very important that uh, this particular domain, which is not significantly addressed uh, by machine learning implementations, need to be looked at from, from that perspective. Now, with interactions with CFOs, I understand that there are a lot of uh, people already who have gut feel, uh, knowledge built up over years of time, and they are able to predict their year-end closing and so on, and the impacts of various other key intrinsic factors on, on their year-end close. But machine learning would definitely help them find those non-intuitive uh, influencing factors that impact their top line and bottom line. I think it, it's a long way to go. Thank you very much. Well, that's a future look, and let's get Kevin McConnell on, on this. Kevin, what do you think? You don't have to agree with them, by the way, Kevin. Well, no pressure. I actually rarely agree with Paul, but this time I do. Ah, okay. <laughs> but seriously, Travis and Paul both bring up good points. So first, the finance organization, they really have to change. And they have to move from just doing accounting and forecasting based on transactions to really be a marketing organization that understands where things are going. They have to look at operations and the supply chain and how things will impact it. They can't just be looking at a narrow focus. So mm-hmm. machine learning is going to help them uh, identify what 
is impacting the business drivers. So that is very important. And then Dr. Paul threw out that concept of what impacts that. So you don't know by just looking at results what influences something. So machine learning can tell you that these components or these certain uh, variables are impacting or affecting your outcomes. And a human being can't look at all those things. So a machine telling you this is where to focus, just like any application, the machine's not going to do everything for you, but it's going to tell you what you should look at. Uh, That will have a big impact on the finance organization. Thank you, Kevin. Let's circle back to Travis Tompkins. Travis, any comments on what your colleagues shared with with us about your topic? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I do agree. I, I think Kevin hit on something there that that's important for for organizations, and that is, um, you know, like there are thousands and thousands of variables, things like that to look at, and, and understand what are the drivers of your drivers uh, is a mm-hmm. key is a key thing to be able to make. Uh, improvements, right? So, you know, any kind of a planning function or anything like that, you, you know, you, you, what is it? What's the adage? If you can't measure it, you, you can't manage it, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if something like uh, AI comes along that allows you to have better insights um, into that, I think that's a, I think that's a, a key part. I think that the the other question to, to also look at here is the question of where do you start, right? So where mm-hmm. do you apply AI in your businesses and, and how do you go through kind of the, the, the framework, I should say, for, for how to do that? At, the, at Deloitte, we have this thing called the three Vs. First is it's got to be viable, whatever it is that you're looking to apply AI against, right? It's got to be something that's applicable to that, to that, to that function. The second thing is important is it's got to be vital. It's got to be something that's important, right? It needs to have visibility. It needs to have. It needs to be substantive and so forth. Where you're going to make that investment, and last but not least, it may be vital, but is it valuable, right? Is what you're going to apply AI against going to mm-hmm. result in creating value? Whether it's maybe creating more excess capacity that, so you can keep up with the, the velocity of business these days, things like that. So all of those things, you know, if I go back and kind of apply that to the finance function, uh, I think as Dr. Paul said, you know, I've got to turn that into dollars and cents and be able to, to make these, uh, to, to create more profit and, and so forth in, in an organization. And so kind of look, looking at that framework um, it is really important to make sure that you're making the right decisions and placing your bets in the right areas. Thank you, Travis. You gave me the perfect segue into where I want to take the conversation next because I'm looking ahead. At, you keep referencing him, Dr. I think you just became Dr. Paul. He told me I could call him Paul, but you know him better, so it'll be Dr. Paul from now on. Now, we, we won't come to you for psychological <laughs> advice. We're coming to you for machine learning <laughs> advice. So, Dr. Paul, I'm looking at your notes, and I, I want to go here because I think this is a reality check. Let me read the notes, and then you can expand. You say, as the use of machine learning algorithms becomes pervasive, 
positive in all applications in an organization. Okay, that's a positive forward-looking statement. You say a widespread and uncomfortable trend has emerged. Number one, developing and deploying machine learning systems is relatively fast and cheap, but maintaining them over time, hmm, difficult and expensive. So why don't you expand this reality check so we know what's really going on. Dr. Paul. Yeah, I think uh, this this is the truth of the moment because uh, having so many uh, tools that enable you to do build machine learning al- algorithms, machine learning models that address a business problem, they're able to find that these models are working well for you. You want to put it into into your production. So, finding the good model for the business uh, once the business question, the right question has been chosen, is easy. And as you go ahead and try to address various problems in the same domain, you land up into several thousand models that you are uh, putting into deployment. But then mm-hmm. there are issues that we have to always think of because just as we build software and we create a lot of technical depth while building the software because of time pressure, because of scope changes, because of technological, uh, what do you say, uh, architectural infrastructure changes and so on, we actually adapt the software development process in order to meet those um, tight timelines. And that is the same for, uh, and I think even more profound for machine learning implementations because once business find that there is value in the data science implementation or the machine learning implementation, they want to put into production and reap the benefits out of it. And because of this, there are a lot of corners that people would be forced to cut just to make it a viable product, a minimal viable implementation that can go to the, to the, to the production uh, setup. And in doing so, these systems over a period of time become completely unmaintainable. So if you want to look at the quality of the model over time, the business landscapes have changed uh, over, over a period of time because any time a predictive model or a machine learning model is interjecting the normal flow of business, it has changed the behavioral responses of the people who are impacted because of the change. And so the data underneath has changed as well. And so the assumptions that you started with and you started building the models are no longer valid as you go ahead. So that is one mm-hmm. aspect of it. Second is I have built possibly several thousand models and I'm using intern visualizations. And these predictive scores or, or outputs that are written by machine learning algorithms are available to everybody in these organizations. They are also using it because it, it finds value. But the people who have implemented and put, in, put into production do not know who those customers are. So they have invisible customers that are using their scores. And then if the base algorithm is changed or the data extraction, the feature extractions are changed, the output are changed and the consumers who are hidden from the the owners of machine learning implementations are significantly impacted uh, from that perspective. And there are various different, uh, what do you say, aspects of uh, hidden debt that machine learning implementations, uh, if not tracked properly as part of a business process, just as we track IT processes, we track our finance processes and purchase processes. Similarly, when predictive becomes pervasive across the business application, there has to be organizational buying and a process that is put together in order to govern the the data as well as the model that impacts various decisions that we take across the organization. Thank you, Dr. Paul. Kevin McConnell, love to get your thoughts on this. Agree or disagree with this reality check from Paul Pallath? Well, he actually brings up a good point, which reminds me of one of the challenges of machine learning 
which is a lot of times it happens in science projects. And the science projects do not get operationalized and brought out to the entire organization. So it's, it's important to, if you're going to tackle something with machine learning, that you start at the top levels of organizations and get it ingrained in the strategy of what they're doing. Uh, I think one of the fears, or one of the, the, the mistakes that companies can make is to start just putting machine learning in, in lots of different places, and Dr. Paul's right, the expense of that and the replication of data, replication of resources is not going to bring true advantage to the company, whereas they should focus on key strategies or key performance indicators of the executives and have it all aligned at the top. Thank you, Kevin. Let's go to Travis Tompkins. Travis, thoughts, please. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's. Uh, I, I generally agree with what the panelists have said. I, I think mm-hmm. one thing that I would add to that, however, is that <clears throat> I, I think to properly do this in, in any kind of organization, there's got to be a recognition that when you first get started in this and start trying to apply where you're going to do AI, you've got to be willing to fail. And I know that's mm-hmm. not a popular thing for, for, you know, for, some, you know, for, for companies to, to think about, but it, it adds to the fact that there's a lot of learning actually in that failure process. You're going to build models, you're going to build things or try to augment a process, and you may get the benefits you see, you may not. But over time, as the learnings get better within the organization and you start to figure out you know, what's vital and what's viable and so forth, that, that, that those things will get, they'll straighten themselves out. The, there's an adage, I think, one of these things is that, and I think Kevin talked about it, is the, the sprinkling of AI around an organization mm-hmm. is probably not a good um, is probably not that good of a strategy, uh, it, it more so than build something that's concrete, um, show the results of that, build that up, and then scale it out, right? So i got to take it from the science project to the opera- operationalization of it. And so that, that's really key. That's really important because it, it, wins, it wins over people. Um, this is a change mechanism in a lot of cases, and so you want to make sure that, that you're doing it right, um, that you're not just quickly getting to an answer, but making sure that it's the right answer. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. so, so let's think about how, how to do it uh, in a more um, you know, controlled, managed way, I guess the best way to say it. Thank you very much. Uh, Paul, anything you want to add to that? Because I want to pick up some topics from Kevin's list. But, Paul, go ahead. Yeah. Uh- yeah, just, just one last thing. I think um, in large deployments of machine learning uh, in business processes all across the organization in all functions, it is also very important that there is an organizational culture to be data-driven because of huge amount of people who have not been impacted because of machine learning. The first, first thing that comes to mind is, do I trust the systems that proposes me actions that I should be looking into? as against me evaluating all the options, right? So it has to be a top-driven kind of uh, 
kind of uh, an, an initiative with organizational culture molded into more data-driven economy as against uh, something that is forced on, uh, so to say. Thank you very much. Kevin McConnell. Let's look at your list. You have some interesting comments here. First of all, let me just give a little background. You say machine learning is not new. Alan Turing created the Turing test in 1950. You had had to convince a person they were interacting with another person. You want to comment on that? And and then I want to go down to some more things about the top use cases for ML machine learning. But, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you know about the history? Well, it's it's like a lot of things. You know, people say big data is new or... All these other things are new, and they're not. They've just been around for a long time. There's just new ways, um, new technology that's making it more uh, plausible to execute. So Alan Turing, who, if anybody saw The Imitation Game, uh, was made famous in that movie, he pretty much is the, the godfather of computer science and artificial intelligence and machine learning. He came up with the Turing test in 1950. And you can see nobody passed it until 2014. And even recently, uh, a computer beat four professional poker players to the Mm -hmm. point of like $1.7 million. So only through doing artificial intelligence. And everybody's seen Watson on Jeopardy. So Mm -hmm. these things, it isn't new, but now the technology is to a point where they can process faster and get the results faster so now it's now that we, we've got this it's how do you start deploying it now that, we, that the real world is you know it's reached, reached the real world now okay thank you and i did look that up computer managers to beat four of the world's best poker players it was reported by jen gidman on february 1st 2017 i'm looking at foxnews.com uh yes four of the world's best poker players are hanging their heads after recently losing 1.8 million dollars in chips to Libratus. but Libratus isn't a card shark with a one-name brand it's the computer that's been trouncing humans wow a texas hold'em for the past three weeks in brains versus this AI competition at Pittsburgh's Rivers Casino. Oh my, a crushing defeat for humanity. Kevin, that's really, really scary. A crushing defeat for humanity in poker. What can we say? Okay, let's look at the top use cases, Kevin. You've got some interesting data here. You say, top use cases for machine learning are not surprising. Personal and data security are the top two. They know they leverage the knowledge of previous threats to identify similar traits. So we're talking about pattern recognition here. Talk to me a little bit, Kevin, and then we're going to see what Travis and Paul have to say. Well, it's, it's, it's not surprising that if you look at, you know, networks, computers, and anything to do with security, there's not hundreds of threats a day. There's thousands, millions of threats a day. So machines are the only people that can go through, or the only capability to go through that. Um, before, they were using rules-based engines. And that means if it met a certain criteria, it got kicked out. If it didn't meet that criteria, it got through. Well, if you didn't set the rules properly, then it's not that strong. So that's where the machines have to start saying, what are the right rules? How do I improve the rules? How do I make them smarter? So that's so when it comes to data security, personal security, fraud, credit risk, those are the types of things where they have the highest payback and the, the quickest return. 
Okay, interesting. Let's go around the table. Travis Tompkins, what do you think? You agree with those top uses and with the recognition of machine learning faster than the human brain, poker and everything else? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think so. Um, you know, if I br- if I bring it back to a a finance use case, because that's kind of my my area, mm-hmm. um, I, I think there is a lot of things that can be done to look at an organization where. Um, automated optimization ends up becoming something that um, we start to see uh, more and more of. Um, Things like I can now use an AI algorithm to um, optimize my network, my supply chain network, my logistics network. Um, I can look at things around my uh, uh, procurement uh, pieces. And so uh, I think AI... Uh, because it can look at so many factors and such in in the in a business setting uh, is going to be better at giving humans a you know here are the five best choices <laughs> you know we'll put it that way it's still up to a person to make a judgment and make the call and say yes I want to do that or not but you know narrowing a hundred choices down to a few. I think is really where we're going to see the use cases um, become much more dominant, uh, more so in the near term. Thank you. And let's get Dr. Paul Pallet to comment on this. Paul, we're just about ready for our predictions round, but I want to make sure we get your thoughts on these use cases. Paul? Sure, sure. I'm surprised why Kevin did not mention CRM, because I think that is the, one of the biggest areas wherein machine learning has made significant inroads. So sales and marketing, um, right from churn reduction to next best offer, customer segmentation, and so on. So I think sales and marketing, and if you have to categorize various use cases, I would say sales and marketing, operations, fraud and risk, finance, HR. These are predominantly the uh, the areas where you could find success stories in. And uh, very recently, you have um, healthcare, public sector, um, travel and hospitality, uh, IoT scenarios as well, which finds... Uh, machine learning use cases. Thank you very much. Kevin, this was your topic. Do you want to comment on what was added by the other panelists before we go to our predictions? Well, Dr. Paul is absolutely right. The majority of spend historically for advanced analytics has been in sales and marketing. That's where the biggest return is, of course. Um, It's always, you know, how do you get the right offer to the right person? And that's another area that's for a long time has been using rules-based engines, which really aren't that intelligent. So adding more intelligence to make a recommendation, especially when you start bringing in the other factors of location and preferences. So it's, if, you, if you make a recommendation to me that is not relevant to me, I'm going to find it annoying. If you, if you know I'm driving down I-95 and you know I have a Diet Coke addiction and you know... Wawa has a sale <laughs> on Diet Coke, and it's the next exit, and you give me a recommendation, I'm going to think that's valuable. 
There you go. Thank you very much. Very profound. We had, okay, we're referencing, I think uh, Kevin was the one. Yes. Okay, Travis Tompkins circling around the table to you. Please, 60 seconds, look into the crystal ball. I love 2020 because, as I like to say, Barbara Walters ingrained it into our brains. I think she was the first machine learning example. 2020, how many years did we hear that? And now it's only three New Year's Eves away. I won't ask where you're going to be and what you'll be drinking, but I'd love to know around the year 2020. Travis, what will be different about this topic? What will change? Harnessing AI, will it be passe? Will we just call it intelligence instead of artificial intelligence? Give me something profound and deep here. Travis Tompkins, prediction, 60 seconds, go. Well, I, I think as, as we've seen, um, my, my, my area I think is going to be profound is in the area of natural language processing. Um, I think in in a number of years, that area is going to become so much more um, uh, pervasive. I and mean, we're seeing it now with Google Home and, and uh, Alexa and all these other devices that that we're talking and interacting with very naturally with. Um, I do believe that that will be kind of the area where five years from now, We'll be looking at this as, well, it's just as if using my GPS today, you know, to ask directions to get someplace. Uh, it will become very natural, and, you know, maybe we do get to the point where we're like Star Trek and we're saying, okay, computer, tell me whatever. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that that's probably an area that, uh, that it's going to be uh, an area of, of explosion. Thank you. Very, very interesting. If you saw the movie Her, I think we were, we, she was her. We were already almost there in that movie. Yes. And he fell in love with his operating system. What can I say? Dr. Paul Pallath, I can also give you 60 seconds for predictions. Go. Sure. I think uh, there will be a parallel world, which is the machine-driven, completely automated world that we'll be part of. And we would be interacting with that world seamlessly without us understanding that they are still existent uh, somehow there. Uh, it's going to be possibly maybe in three years' time, Boni, when you actually have a game changer, maybe a mm-hmm. machine that understands my responses to your questions would be taking this call for me. <laughs> That's the first time anybody said that. But we want you, Dr. Paul. We want the real Dr. Paul, not the machine version of Dr. Paul. That would be so funny if we had panelists who were machines, AIs, chatbots. Oh, my. I never even thought about that. As long as they don't make me a chatbot doing the show. I'm, I'm choking up with, with exasperation here. Thank you, Paul. That certainly gave me something to think about. Kevin McConnell, I've got 60 seconds for you. You can uh, throw me off my chair because Paul already did it, so I could fall down a little farther. Kevin, what do you see in the crystal ball? I know. I feel like I can't, I can't top what Travis and uh, Dr. Paul have said. <laughs> oh, give it a try. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really like... It reminds me, one time, Ken Olson, the founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, which at one point was the second largest computer company in the world, the, somebody asked him, I know this is not a computer in your office. And he said, people don't need computers. And that's probably why digital doesn't exist anymore. But now, how many computers are in your car? There's, there's lots of processors in your car. So it's going to be to the point where... You don't even think about it, just as Travis and Dr. Paul said. You're going to engage with things a lot different than the way you engage with them now. Um, you know, how many people 
actually dial phones anymore. You, you don't. You, how, many, how do you engage with your TV anymore? People now are talking to their TV and telling them what they want to watch. You, 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 watch, you decide what you want to watch and when. You don't you know, have to sit, sit home at a certain time. So the whole world is engaging differently, and I think you're going to start seeing machine learning. It's going to be just part of that. Your banking will be taking care of you without thinking. The way you engage with, you know, I'll probably come home and Friday night there'll be a pizza at my door because I won't have to order it because it knows <laughs> I want it. I'm going to order it Friday night at 7 o'clock anyway. So all those things are going to happen, and we're just going to take, we'll, we'll joke about the days when we had to, to do things. That's right. And the kids, the, the young kids, the teenagers will say, Dad, you had to do what? You had to call up for a pizza? You had to tell somebody the light bulb needed to be changed? You had to go to a mechanic because your car was stranded on the road because a belt broke and your car didn't know to schedule the appointment on its own? Oh, my. Think of how kids are going to look at us. I'm naming the three of you, Travis Tompkins at Deloitte, Dr. Paul Palath, and Kevin McConnell at SAP. The three of you, I know you're a lot younger than I am, but you're old enough that one day your grandkids are going to say, you had to do what? <laughs> thank you very much, Kevin. I can't thank the three of you enough. We, we've certainly had an interesting conversation on machine learning trends, part two, harnessing AI. I've got to rush and say thank you very much to David Yonker and Chandra and Saravana at SAP for setting this show up. I will be broadcasting live from SAP Sapphire Now 2017, not on the show floor, but very nearby at the Orlando Conference Center next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Check us out on the World Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com, event channel. That's right, not the business channel. We'll also be streaming live on the SAP Partner Edge Facebook page with a Mevo camera. So Jeff Spinard, CEO of Voice America, and Ryan Treasure, our treasure, will be my engineers, and I appreciate that very much. And we'll be back with another live coffee break show here on the business channel on Wednesday, the 24th of May, and where we'll have special clips from my interviews with game-changing thought leaders at Sapphire. You don't want to miss it. So thank you to my guests. Thank you to everybody. Shout out to Carla Neal again at Deloitte and Kevin and the Business Channel team. Thank you. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. 